Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Views from the 573 Podcast. Hope you all are doing well on this Wednesday afternoon. We got a fun show for you all. The NFL season is upon us. Tomorrow's the first game, Bills Rams. So we're wrapping up our NFL previews slash predictions, and we're going to be talking about some season predictions, and we're going to be also doing week one predictions. So that's going to be a little bit later on in the show as we wrap up NFL stuff here. We got some college football stuff as well with the season officially underway with week one this past weekend. Some fun games, some fun Thursday night games as uh, we'll talk about all that action and talk about some of the fun games that we have here in week two. Uh, there's a couple pretty good ones here. A couple ranked matchups here with both teams ranked going toe-to-toe, so those should be fun to talk about here in a minute. But a couple things that actually happen, as per usual on this podcast, that uh, happened not too long after the show wrapped up last week, were a couple of big pieces of news, and I tried to find a way to fit them into a midweek pod, but I figured, you know, we're going to be doing this one a little bit earlier anyway. My Thursday's a little bit busy, so we're going to do it here. And that is college football playoff expansion. It's been an idea that's been on the minds of a lot of people in the sport for a long time and uh, on this podcast as well, and it's officially happening. So we're going to talk about some of the details here. That, that have been released, of course, with the 12-team expansion, some details need to be ironed out. So we're going to talk about with some of the stuff we do know about this expansion. And also, the thing that we're going to talk about the top, uh, the, off the top here is this. Of course, one of the things we've been keeping an eye out in recent weeks is Donovan Mitchell. And how long is he going to be a member of the Utah Jazz? Now, of course, the Knicks have been a team that have been interested in acquiring Donovan Mitchell, as a, as well as Mitchell has been interested in going to the Knicks, considering that's his hometown team right there. So all eyes have been on that and, and as to whether he's going to go to the Knicks, if he's going to get traded at all, and what Utah's going to get for him. And so we have officially now know, we officially have a trade with Donovan Mitchell involved, and it's not to the team you expect. I don't think it was, if you took prop bets on which team Donovan Mitchell was going to get traded to, I highly doubt it was going to be this team, the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's right, the Cleveland Cavaliers got Donovan Mitchell, won the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes. And so let's dive into the details of this Donovan Mitchell deal with him going to Cleveland. Of course, Cleveland's going to have to give up a few things. One of the details we didn't know early on was like, of course, in this deal, players are going to have to be involved. But one of the things we did know was the draft capital that Utah was going to be gaining in this deal. And they gained three unprotected first-round picks. And I believe those take place in around 2025, 2027, 2029. And they also got two pick swaps involved in this deal. As far as the player side of things, Cleveland sent Laurie Markinen, Colin Sexton, and Oche Agbaji, the rookie lottery pick that Cleveland took 
in uh, this past year's draft. And Colin Sexton, who was a guy that needed a new deal, he signs a new deal with Utah. And so all those players and all those picks are heading to Utah. And Donovan Mitchell is heading to Cleveland to become a Cavalier. So let's talk about a a few aspects to this deal. We'll talk about the Knicks aspect, I think, to close this discussion out. Uh, The Utah aspect of it. Of course, you trade Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, same offseason. And you get a boatload of future draft capital. Is that Danny Ainge calling? (laughs) As we know, Danny Ainge loves his draft capital. He loved it when he was with Boston a few years back. And he's gained a lot of it here in recent weeks. Getting five picks for Rudy Gobert and getting three known picks in the in those unprotected first-round picks, and you get two pick swaps as well. So Danny Ainge is cleaning up for Utah in the draft capital department and gaining all these picks for those two guys. And right now it's clear that Utah is in a rebuilding mode. And right now... They're not close to Oklahoma City as far as draft assets that they have, but you know they're they're getting there. <laughs> they're they're climbing that ladder right now. But I think the thing with Utah to check out now is there's probably some other guys on the team that are going to get traded that do not want to be part of a rebuild that want to go and win now and Bojan Bogdanovic, Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley or probably the three main people on that team now that you could look at as being the next to go in Utah. And there's a lot of teams out there that would love to have either one of those guys to try to go and contend this year. Get get some guys that can go and score, like Bogdanovich can go out and score. Clarkson's a good six-man. Conley, good veteran point guard. I think if you're an NBA team, you would love to have any of those guys on your roster. And so those three are probably the next men up as far as who can get dealt from Utah. And uh, I imagine they would want to get dealt and they they don't want to be part of something that's going to be rebuilding, that they want to go to a place where they can go and win now. Now for the Cleveland aspect of this, this is pretty big time. For them, you get Donovan Mitchell, who 25-26 is one one of the 30 best players in the league. I think if you're going to do a list of 30, maybe 35, that he's definitely on there. That he's not a superstar, but like he is definitely a star with how he has done in the NBA so far in in his short career so far. And so you look at the team that he's joining in Cleveland. He's running a team right now that has Darius Garland as his backcourt mate, who made an all-star team last year. You have Isaac Okoro, nice young prospect there on the wings. You got Jared Allen, who's an all-star as well, and Evan Mobley, a burgeoning young star who's coming into a second year. There's a lot to like about this Cleveland roster. 
where if Mobley hits his potential, then you could conceivably say that Cleveland has all-stars at pretty much every position except small forward. And right now they got three of those positions locked up with center and Jared Allen. And now you got Donovan Mitchell at shooting guard and Darius Garland at point guard. And I, I know one of the things that's been talked about here in the days since the trade is the fit with Garland and Donovan Mitchell as to how they fit together. And one comparison I saw is this could be a Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum type of situation. Where if you've seen how those two have played in Portland throughout the years, they've been a good backcourt. Well, it hasn't worked out all that well for them. Pretty small backcourt. And Mitchell and Garland's a small backcourt as well, if you take a look at it. Mitchell's not that big. He's about, what, 6'2", 6'3", and Garland's about 6'1". So it's a really small backcourt. But it does help when you have guys on your in your starting lineup that have a real proclivity for defense. And Jared Allen and Evan Mobley are those two guys that can really help support those two on defense. It's If you look at Dame and CJ's time at Portland, it's probably better than whatever defensive support they got. So that really helps. And if you look at this Cleveland team now in the East, they're looking like a really solid team out East. Of course, you know you're going to have your Milwaukee's and Boston's and you know Miami's you top the East. But Cleveland now has a strong argument to be one of those top teams out East. And Donovan Mitchell really helps them propel forward. Now, it's not going to help them propel all the way to the top of the East. But it does probably vault them into that top four range where they have a top four seed out East. And where they have home court at least in the first round. Now, if they get lucky, they could potentially have it in the second round as well. But I think that's where it, it stops and where they'd had to go on the road to start a playoff series out there. But if you're looking at this Cleveland team now, it's a pretty solid Cleveland team with what they got now. You got all-stars, again, at almost every level. You still got some young guys there that are really good. And, you know, Garland's only going to get better with him being an all-star last year. Mobley's only going to get better. He, his trajectory is really high Jared Allen he was an all-star as well so this is a really solid group that Cleveland has built up here for sure really good group that Donovan Mitchell is now joining and yes you got I mean Kevin Love is still there Chetty Osmond still there so there's some really good pieces there in Cleveland so where they can be one of those top teams out east by the end of the season, by the end of this upcoming season. As far as the Knicks aspect, so there's been reports since then as to what the Knicks package was for Donovan Mitchell. And Woj tweeted out 
you know, at the start of trade talks in July, New York offered a package of R.J. Barrett, Obi Topman, Mitchell Robinson, and three unprotected first-round picks. Now, we we know that Baird re-upped here. We talked about that last week. And after that offer was declined, Mitchell Robinson signed an extension to stay with the Knicks. But if you look at this offer, three unprotected first-round picks, exactly what, the, what Utah got from Cleveland. It's exactly what they got. The only things that differ there is, you know, the pick swaps. And if you look at the players, Markkinen's a solid player. Sexton's a solid player. And we we still don't know what Agbaji is going to do in the NBA. But you look at this package and... Honestly, it's a better package than what Cle- what Cleveland offered. I think if you look at it, R.J. Barrett is better than anything that Cleveland offered, player-wise, and probably pick-wise, too. And Obi Toppin, solid player. Mitchell Robinson, solid, solid defender. You could plug him there in the middle at center after you lose Gobert. Just plug him in there, and you get three unprotected first-round picks for the foreseeable future. And so I think if you look at this deal, hey, the Knicks made a really good offer here, better than what Cleveland offered. And B, Utah and Danny Ainge probably saved the Knicks from themselves here. Because if you look at this offer again, R.J. Barrett, probably better than anything the Knicks have on their roster that they could have offered. Obi Toppin, really solid young player. Mitchell Robinson, really solid player here. And that would have taken away three big pieces in their rotation right there. And so Utah declines that, as we know, and they go and take this Cleveland offer weeks later. So this probably helps save the Knicks a little bit in keeping some of these guys there, keeping some of this young talent there, keeping those three unprotected first-round picks that they were willing to part with. So the Knicks end up winning this, even though they don't get Donovan Mitchell, they end up winning this because they don't have to trade a whole lot. And we've talked about this in the past here recently with KD, like with these guys going on the market, you're going to have to give a bunch of, draft assets and a and a couple good players on your roster to go and get these guys. And you have to think about, is it worth it going out and getting a Donovan Mitchell or going out and getting a KD? In this case, Cleveland thought it was worth it to go get a Donovan Mitchell in part with three unprotected first round picks, two pick swaps and marketing Sexton and Ogbaji. And they were willing to make the move and say, hey, we want to add Donovan Mitchell here to what we got going. We like what we have going. And we think by adding him, it can really help us going forward. So, honestly, even though the Knicks end up not getting the star here, it ended up helping them and not unleashing all those players and all those picks in that deal. 
But man, yeah, if you take a look at it, the Knicks made a really good package here to go and try to get Donovan Mitchell. But Cleveland ends up getting him. I like this move for Cleveland. I like it for Utah and getting all those picks. And again, circling back to Danny Ainge, he loves his picks. Just a matter of if he'll do anything with them and if he'll capitalize with them. So now Utah's head off for a rebuild. And Cleveland is primed to make a jump this year to get into the top of the East and potentially, like we said, get into that top four there in the Eastern Conference. So that's where we're going to leave it off with the NBA as we head on over to football for the rest of the show. Let's talk about this playoff expansion and talk about some of the details that we have with this. And first off, we should note that as of right now, nothing is going to change as of right now. Now, we could get reports probably as soon as the show's over that, hey, this is happening as soon as 2024. But as of right now, this is going to happen in 2026. And that is a jump from the current four-team model that we have here to a 12-team model after the current contract runs out in 2026. But there is a small chance that it could go to 2024. That could start earlier, but there's a lot of complicated details involved and would take some time to work out. But College Football Playoff Board of Members decided unanimously, let's move to a 12-team playoff here. Now, if I had any say in this, I think the jump to 12 teams from 4 to 12, I think, is a bit of a jump. If I probably had to make a decision, I would have started off small and made the jump from 4 to 8 and see how that goes. And then, you know, if that's looking successful, then later on down the road, you go from 8 to 12. And then I think maybe you stay at 12. And who knows if they'll stay with 12 after this is done. But it's a, it's a really big jump from 4 to the 12th, from the format you have now where you know, you're probably going to likely see the SEC champion get in, the Big Ten champion get in. You might see another SEC team get in. We saw that last year with Alabama and Georgia. You might have a group of five team like Cincinnati make the jump last year. Maybe that happens. Or you get a Big 12 team in there, get Oklahoma or ACC, get Clemson in there if they win the ACC. Or if if ever the Pac-12 got its stuff together, maybe one of their teams. But right now, as of this weekend, it's probably not likely. But that's the way the current format works. Now, if you're looking at a 12-team format, there's a lot of different ways you can go about this. You're going to have to talk about maybe bye weeks. You're going to have to do first rounds and second rounds and all that good stuff. So it's really going to start to feel a little bit more like Pro Bowl in a sense here. 
So looking at some of the more some of the details here surrounding this, I think one of the reasons why they did this, one of the first details you start to notice is like the four to twelve. Well, like, listen, you're going to get more money involved in here. That's pretty much where all this is focused on is to money. And I think also probably expansion right now. You're looking at where college football is going with expansion. Is that you are having a lot of these teams look to other conferences. Like we had reports that Washington and Oregon last week. We're talking to the Big Ten and maybe figure out if they can make the move like UCLA and USC did. So you got that on the table. You got Oklahoma and Texas moving to the SEC. Could the SEC add any more? Sankey has said that right now we're fine. But as we know, things can change pretty quickly here in the landscape of college football. So... Looking at some more details of this, who some of the t- conferences that are really going to benefit from that are going to be those teams that are expanding, like the SEC and like the Big Ten. Because if you look at the Big Ten, like let's just say this year, let's take this year into account. Let's just say Ohio State, Michigan. You throw in USC, they get in there. Alabama, Georgia, that's five teams right there. You throw in Clemson right there, that's six. Maybe you throw A&M in there, that's three from the SEC. Maybe you throw in an Oklahoma, that's eight. And let's just say for, for the sake of this example, you throw in Cincinnati last year, throw in Cincinnati's team from last year in there. You throw in a Utah. And like you're seeing where a lot of these are coming from. These are coming from conferences that are expanding. Like, especially, like, listen, if Notre Dame ends up joining the Big Ten or the ACC, but let's just say they join the Big Ten, you're going to see a lot of teams from the Big Ten in this playoff, potentially. And you're going to see a lot of teams from the SEC in the playoff, potentially. So that means Notre Dame, their decision, they've got to figure out really quickly as to whether they're going to be a part of this. But going into more details and looking at some more of this with what's transpired here is also if you take a look at this, another aspect we didn't talk about is they waited a year on this. They essentially punted a year. As you had a lot of pe- you had some people that were not happy with Sankey and the moves that he was making and that the SEC had gotten Oklahoma and Texas. So you had some people from these other conferences that were kind of ticked off at him and they punted the year away that they could have had to go and ha- hammer this home a year earlier and maybe potentially get it to where it starts in 2024 a lot quicker as it gives them that extra year. And so you're probably going to be looking at with this playoff or with, with the playoff expansion, you're probably going to look at some home playoff games for some of these teams 
And, you know, that's probably an exciting part about this. Hey, because those teams get a little bit more money. But also, you you get to have a playoff game at your home venue. I think that we can't undersell that, that that would be a big-time aspect and a big-time appeal to having an expansion. Like, let's just say you're top four teams get a buy and it's Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, Ohio State. Let's just say it's pretty much the or Cincinnati. Let's just say it's the four teams that made the playoffs last year. Let's just say it's them. So they get a buy. You can feasibly see a scenario to where Ohio State is five and then you've got a team like, let's just throw in Oregon, get that matchup going again. Let's just say they're trying to figure out the seedings here. <laughs> so let's just say they're a, for the sake of this example, again, a nine seed. Ohio State would host that playoff game in Columbus. Now then you'd probably the next week, once you eliminate some of those teams, you have, let's just try to figure this out. Five versus 12 is probably going to happen. So I was probably off there. Five versus 12, six versus 11, seven versus 10, and eight versus nine. So you're going to have four teams get knocked off there. And maybe could you see them starting that second weekend going to other venues where bowl games would normally be hosted, or is it going to be at the home venue again? And also when is all this going to be starting? Is it going to be starting right around uh, the time where you have all these lower level bowl games happening? Because with something like this, you're going to need a few weeks to figure out who's your champion. If you're going to be doing this model, And so I imagine those are some of the details that are complicated to figure out right now that they're going to try to hammer home and figure out, okay, how can we do this with bowl season, with all these other bowl games going on? Can we have the week one, the playoff during this week of bowls and then next week after that? Because after you eliminate those first four teams, it's you got eight teams left. And then after that, you got your four. And so honestly, if diving into it more, that first weekend, it's going to be at home venues. That second weekend, if you're still dealing with eight teams, you're probably going to be dealing with home venues. Then that third week and that last week are probably going to be the format that you saw, that, that you've seen with this recent expansion of, or this recent trend of having the college football playoff with these four teams and that that third week you're going to have your four teams that we've usually have had here and they're going to be playing at two different venues and then the championship game is going to be played at a different venue so in my mind that's how i imagine it would go but we'll have to see that a lot of these details got to be figured out here 
And if they're wanting to move to 2024, they got to figure it out really quickly. And uh, as of recently, the playoff committee announced Atlanta's going to host the championship game in 25. Miami's going to host it in 26. So those venues have already been decided. And as we mentioned, it can start as early as 2026 or start as at this point in 2026, unless they want to move to 2024 and figure out all those details between now and, you know, that 2024 season. So this is big. This is pretty, uh, uh, this is a big deal with them expanding. Uh, It affects a lot of different parties and makes everybody a whole lot more money, which that's, Pretty much always the goal with all this stuff is to get more money, to get more rich. But uh, this is pretty big for college football going forward and in expanding to 12 teams, making the jump from four teams, and getting more teams involved. The, the one worry is, that I think to close us out, is you saw Georgia and Oregon match up there. Now, may. <laughs> As we said, I think it's probably going to end up in a situation where those top four have bye weeks. But if you were in a situation where you had the one seed faces the 12 seed and two versus, faces 11 and three versus 10, you saw a scenario this past weekend where you had Georgia, who's ranked third, and you had Oregon, who's ranked 11. And you saw how that turned out. Just think about it. That could that could have been a playoff game. And you saw the end result. The end result of Georgia absolutely beating the crap out of the Ducks. So just keep that in mind. But this is big news. This is something that we've been wondering when it's going to happen. I think it was only a, a matter of when, not if that this was going to happen sometime sooner or later, and it's here. And so now we're all going to be left wondering, when is this officially going to start? When is the current model going to be scrapped and we're moving on to this model? Again, supposedly 2026, maybe as early as 2024 if they get some stuff worked out, get details figured out. But yeah, this is big news. College football, the playoff expanding to 12 teams. This is big news there. So, sticking with college football here. Let's talk about week one, shall we? And there's a lot of fun week one action here. And I don't think you could hope for anything more than some fun, crazy chaos on starting on Thursday and pretty much ending on Sunday, the Clemson Georgia tech game. There wasn't a whole lot of chaos there to start with, but to look over week one here and week zero kind of in general. So we picked Nebraska Northwestern. We know we won that one. Wyoming, Illinois, Illinois won that Bandy versus Hawaii. They won that. So the first official week one game we're going to talk about is West Virginia at Pitt, which was on Thursday night. The backyard brawl, 
first time in 11 years, which is crazy to me that it's the first time in 11 years that these two have played. And also, you saw the result of the game and the crowds getting excited, both crowds getting amped up. Why would you not want that every year? That would be fun. That would be exciting and bring a lot of money in. So hopefully these two teams are going to get to play each other a lot more. But uh, just an exciting game back and forth to start off the season. With Pitt winning 38-31 to over West Virginia. I don't even know West Virginia was is supposed to be good, but Pitt, they leaned on that defense. That defense caused a lot of havoc there for West Virginia. Keaton Slovis, the USC transfer, solid day, threw for over 300 yards and a touchdown. But really the big difference maker there was around that three-minute mark where West Virginia has the ball. It's 31-31. And JT Daniels, a Georgia transfer, throws it to Ford Wheaton, the best receiver of the day for West Virginia. Bounces off his hands. Lands into the arms of a pit defender who takes it all the way and gets a pick six out of this. And that was the difference maker right there with Pitt winning off a game changing, literally a game changing interception and winning 38 to 31. Just an awesome way to start week one with these two teams playing each other for the first time in 11 years, having an exciting environment and them having an awesome game like this to start the season. So with that game, we went with Pitt in that one. Ball State and Tennessee. Uh, This was also a Thursday night game in which Tennessee ended up winning 59-10. to Couldn't start off any better if you were Tennessee. First play of the game, Ball State gets, gets the ball, wins the toss, gets the kickoff. Tries to get a little bit too cute there with the trick play. The pressure gets on. Tennessee intercepts it. Tennessee's first play on offense, touchdown. Uh, Hinden Hooker, really solid day for him. Cedric Tillman, the star receiver, only 68 yards. But uh, Tennessee spread the ball out a lot to all those wide receivers. You saw a lot of freshmen play. So now they move on to play Pitt next week. To play Pitt this week. And that's going to be a fun one, for sure. So, next game. Oregon and Georgia. What we just talked about. Georgia. Uh, We talked about in our SEC previews when we talked about Georgia. This defense. You're going to have to replace some guys. Can they step up? And you saw a lot of guys step up for Georgia in week one. And we already knew about this guy. That this guy was going to be a beast. Jalen Carter made a huge impact on that defensive line. If you've seen the play that's kind of gone viral of him just like throwing aside a offensive lineman like nothing, then uh that's a testament to his talent right there. And like he how impactful he's gonna be for this Georgia defense. But Oregon cannot do anything. Bo Nix just has, cannot do anything against Georgia. Whether he's wearing an Auburn jersey or an Oregon jersey, just can't do anything. But Georgia Goes on to win 49-3. Stetson Bennett 
Uh, what a day for, for the guy. Threw for 368 yards, 25 of 31, two touchdowns. What a way to start your season. And this is the first real game of a uh, first real opener that he's been the starter. Last couple of years, he hasn't. But uh, in his first game doing this, not too shabby, I would think. Throwing for over 350 and only missing six passes. Not too bad, young man. So, moving on to Cincinnati and Arkansas. Who, Arkansas ranked 19th, Cincinnati ranked 23rd. Cincinnati, as we talked about, losing a lot of pieces to the draft last year. And so, they're coming into this game trying to figure out some of these guys, these new name, these new faces who are, are going to replace some old faces, including a quarterback. You know, with Desmond Ritter gone, trying to figure out who's going to be the next guy up there. And so Cincinnati and Arkansas, this was another fun game. At Fayetteville, 31-24, a really physical game. Really physical game. And I think... You know, the lasting image of Cincinnati playing Alabama where they were just outclassed. And they go into Fayetteville and play a really tough physical game against this Arkansas program who, under Sam Pittman, has really taken a huge leap here. But Arkansas behind K.J. Jefferson, they go and win this game 31-24. to with Jefferson having four touchdowns, three passing, one rushing. And uh, Bryant, the new quarterback for Cincinnati, not too bad for uh, his first for his first game. I think for Cincinnati, though, if, if they could have cleaned up some of the stuff on offense, some of the penalties, some of the mistakes, definitely things could have gone a whole lot better for them. But uh, – Coming into your first game as a, as the starter, thrown for 325, two touchdowns, did throw a pick, but not too bad. But this is a really fun physical game where Arkansas won, huge out-of-conference win. And Cincinnati, even though they start off 0-1, their schedule still looks really good the rest of the way. So you can conceivably see this being their only loss that that they'll have. So moving on to the next game that uh, that we picked. And we went with Utah and Florida. And Anthony Richardson is really taking the whole country by storm after this game, after this performance he had against Utah as his first game, as the real kind of starter, as the unquestioned starter and leader at the QB position. And uh, he comes in, and he helps Florida knock off number seven, Utah. Utah had a couple miscues, especially miscues late there with the interception from Cam Rising that clinched Florida the game with Billy Napier getting his first win at Florida and his first win coming against a top-10 team. And the Pac-12 champion from last year, a team that gave Ohio State all it wanted last year in the Rose Bowl. And Florida knocks him off. 
with Richardson not throwing a whole lot, but being, being pretty accurate, 17 to 24. But rushing-wise, 11 carries, 106 yards, three touchdowns. And Florida knocks off the number seven team in the country. One of the first picked upsets of the year. And uh, let, me tell you, let me tell you what. That's a big win for Napier. After the season Florida had to kind of end the year on last year in 2021, that's much needed for them. So Florida upsets Utah there. Start 1-0 in the Billy Napier era. Memphis at Mississippi State. This one... <laughs> Had a really long weather delay. It left me wondering, are they just going to call this game with the weather? It took so long. But uh, Mississippi State ended up winning this one. And, uh, you know, they just looked like the completely better team. Outclassed Memphis, 49-23. Will Rogers throwing for 450 yards in this game. 38-49, five touchdowns, one pick. And Memphis just could not stop them. And that's what Mike Leach's offense do. They put up a lot of yards and a lot of points. So Mississippi State, even after all the weather delays, outclasses Memphis here, 49-23, starts off 1-0. Alabama, Utah, we're not going to talk too much about this game. But Alabama wins this one. Pretty easily, Bryce Young throwing for a lot of touchdowns here, rushing for a couple here, and starts off trying to go win another Heisman. Starts off a second Heisman campaign with a win here. Notre Dame against Ohio State. Top five matchup here to start off the season. And this one was... Probably a classic Big Ten game here, to say the least, with uh, these two, where we expected Ohio State to really put up a lot of points here, being a high-powered offense. And they were the antithesis of that, but they end up winning in a different way that maybe can go help them as the season goes, where they can win all these different ways, where, again, they can put up points. But if they have to play in an ugly game like this one, where they aren't putting up a lot of points, that they can go and do it. And uh, they definitely did it in this game. Jackson Smith, the jig buff, pretty nicked up here for a lot of this game. Wasn't himself, so he had to find different ways to go and win this game. And uh, Marcus Freeman, with him being an Ohio State alum, him coaching in his first real game. Ohio State takes the game 21-7 to there with Notre Dame scoring 10 in that first half and not scoring at all in that second half. With Ohio State scoring 14 points being all it needed to go in and win this game over Notre Dame 21-10. to so that's how Ohio State and Notre Dame start their seasons. LSU and Florida State. And boy, this one was drunk, especially late. This one, yeah, it felt like Tennessee versus Tennessee right here with a couple things that happened here with botched punts and weird play calls and 
coaches saying weird things. Looking at you, Brian Kelly. And what the Brian Kelly era starting off really poorly here. Uh, things have not gone on well in the days since with press conferences and things he said and throwing players under the bus. With Florida State winning off a blocked extra point, 24-23. to And if I'm being honest, this game was, was probably two teams that are probably going to end up with six or seven wins. They're just going to be fine. But uh, this was fun. This was stupid college playoff, stupid college football fun, rather, with uh, a lot of chaos in, in, in between all this stuff. And then our final game, we picked Clemson, knocking off Georgia Tech 41-10. to Uy Angulale still looks like there's some issues there. The offense looks stagnant at times for Clemson, but that defense is a big-time thing for Clemson that's probably going to propel this team forward this year. So Clemson ends up winning their season opener. And uh, one game we did not talk about that I think we absolutely have to talk about. Uh, side note there, CMO lost 42-10 to against Iowa State. So there's that. But the game we absolutely have to talk about was the juggernaut that was the Iowa versus South Dakota State game. Now, I mentioned Florida State and LSU as being stupid college football, chaos, fun, whatever you want to call it. This was that. My goodness. 7-3. And if you're a football fan, you're like, okay, well, Iowa scored the only touchdown. You know, 7-3, kind of a reasonable score here. No touchdowns were scored in this game at all. Two field goals and two safeties. <laughs> Just uh, if if you want to torture yourself, if you want to see what bad offenses look like, this is the game for you. And they only combined for 286 yards. That's uh, <laughs> that's not good. And I, I want to find how many total punts there were. There was a stat with total punts and total first downs. So let's go find let's go find this here. How many punts there were? Uh, there were sixteen first downs. And oh man, come on, let me find some punts here. Let's see. Let's take a look at South Dakota's punter. There was 11 punts and then 10 punts for Iowa. So 21 uh, 21 punts. We had 21 punts compared to 16 first downs. The game of the year, everybody. Iowa versus South Dakota State. 7-3. Two field goals, two touchdowns. Not two touchdowns. What am I talking about? Two safeties. Oh, man. If you're Iowa, you got to be concerned about what's this team going to look like the rest of the season? And there's just this great photo after the game is over with people in the stands. They're just looking confused like, what did we just watch? Really? What? 
What game did we just sit down for about three hours and watch? Absolute college football chaos at its finest, and I love it. We all love it. College football is back, everybody. So let's move on to week two and talk about some of the games here. There's some fun ones. As we talked about off the top here, there's there's a couple ranked matchups there that uh, are really fun. So moving on to week number two, we're starting off with a big one already, a big out-of-conference game for both these teams, and that is Alabama going to Austin, Texas to take on the Longhorns, take on Steve Sarkeesian, their former assistant coach. And this is going to be the first game of week two. One of the first games of week two that we're going to have here. Of course, we're going to have a couple on Friday night. But as far as big-time games early on, this is going to be one of them. Alabama at Texas on Fox, 11 a.m. And you got to feel pretty good about the tide here. But boy, oh boy, if Texas can make a... Texas has a statement game. This is it. This is it for the Longhorns. I'm going with Alabama in this one. But man, if Texas had an opportunity here, this is it. Taking on the number one team in the country, taking on Alabama of all teams. They're what? 20-point underdogs at home. So we'll have to see how this game goes. I'm going with Alabama, though. I don't know if I would take the 20 points. I think Texas will keep this somewhat close, but Alabama's going to win regardless. So give me the Crimson Tide here. South Carolina at Arkansas. Early game here between SEC opponents. With Arkansas, starting off 1-0, South Carolina beating Georgia State last week to start off 1-0. And looking at this game, I think you got to feel like Arkansas is a favorite, but South Carolina got a lot of preseason hype. But I think with seeing how Arkansas played against Cincinnati, them playing a physical brand of football with K.J. Jefferson, I think I'm going to take the Hogs here. The Hogs are favorites at home, about eight and a half points. So I'm going to pick Suey here. Give me the Hogs. So next one up. I think I know where where I'm gonna who I'm gonna pick in this one, and I think once I state the matchup, you all will probably know who I'm feeling is gonna win this matchup. Tennessee and Pitt, one of our ranked matchups here. Tennessee, you moved in at 24 this week. Pitt still at 17th. The game last year was a really fun one, but also there were some weird calls in that one. It was also the first game where Hendon Hooker really made a name for himself in the Tennessee Orange and was the starter from that game on. As Milton got hurt, Hooker took took the position and he never looked back. And so now they're heading into Pittsburgh this year. Ranked matchup between these two teams. 
And there there are some things I am wondering about that I think we're going to find out a little bit more about Tennessee this week compared to, you know, last week against Ball State. As an offensive line pick got after West Virginia last week. Can they hold up? Can Tennessee get after Pitt? We've seen, we saw that could work last week as well against Slovis and that Pitt offense. Difference between uh, this this year's Pitt team and last year's. No Kenny Pickett, no Jordan Addison. Slovis is fine, but I don't think he's up to Kenny Pickett's level. And who's the, who's the wide receiver you got to be concerned about? So I do feel comfortable. I don't think it's going to be easy, but I do feel comfortable that Tennessee is going to go into Pitt, get some revenge, and knock off a ranked opponent and move on up. And this could be a big game changer type of game where I can't think of the exact word for it at the moment, but it's a game that really kind of, it, it, this game for Tennessee, it hinges on whether they win or lose on how they're going to do the rest of the season and what to think about them the rest of the season. If they win this one, this could be a really good tone setter. I think that I think that may be what I'm thinking of. It could be a really good tone setter for the season. It's a tone setter regardless as to whether they win or lose. As to they can either be heading into the Florida game 3-0 and or heading heading into that game two and one, with them maybe losing to Pitt this week and then winning against Akron, or maybe they win this one. Right now, Tennessee is a favorite at Pitt. Pitt's a home underdog, so I'm gonna go with my guys here. But I think it's gonna be a hard fought game. It's I think it's gonna be an exciting game, and you're gonna see a lot of points scored. I think Tennessee eventually outlasts Pitt with this offense, and they end up winning. Iowa State at Iowa. At least I hope it's at Iowa. That's what I I remember making the this list here for the games we're going to pick, and I saw that one. Okay, it is at Iowa, so good for that. But I remember seeing this one on there, and I didn't put it on there initially. I'm like, what am I thinking? It's Iowa and Iowa State. So I put this game on here. We'll see if Iowa can score more than, you know, a couple safeties and a field goal. <laughs> but uh, right now with Iowa State, I think, yeah, they played against Simo, but Dacker's a quarterback that comes in, had a really good opening game. Three for 293, 25 for 31, four touchdowns. You just got to hope Iowa can find a way to score more than what they did last week. So you know what? I think because of that, I think we're going to go with the Cyclones here. I think they're going to go on the road and knock off their rival. So give me the Cyclones. Washington State heading to Wisconsin. A little bit of a Big Ten Pac-12 matchup here. And uh, I feel Wisconsin is probably going to end up winning this one. Braylon Allen, the stud sophomore running back, 
last week, 14 carries, 148 yards, and two touchdowns. He honestly might be a dark horse Heisman favorite. If you've seen how Wisconsin running backs operate in the past, they should probably be on that list more often than not. So give me the Badgers here to take down the Cougars. Wisconsin, pretty big favorite, about 17 and a half, 18 points. So I'll take the Badgers here to get an out-of-conference win against the Pac-12 team. Next up, one of our other ranked matchups, Kentucky against Florida. Florida vaulting all the way to number 12 after knocking off Utah. And Kentucky, after winning their first game last week against Miami of Ohio, plays against a Kentucky team that's who's ranked 20th in the country. And this could be a... Another tone set, another type of tone setter type of game for both these teams. If we're being honest here, yes, last week for Florida was big, but one things one of the things we talked about with Florida was this is going to be a tough start for the season for them with Utah, with Kentucky. You go on the road against Tennessee. Those are three of your of your first four games right there. So they can win this one. It'd be a really incredible start to the Billy Napier era. And knocking off two top 20 teams, two top 25 teams, and knocking off a ranked SEC opponent in your division would be a big-time win for them. And also the quarterback matchup. Will Levis versus Anthony Richardson. This is a, This is a fun one. This is a fun matchup to look at and this honestly is probably a toss-up game it's really closer to 50 50 than than you probably think but you know i think i think i'll go with kentucky i think i'll go with kentucky here it'd be a big time win for them you know being florida last year they go and do it at Florida this year and I knock off a team that knocked off the number seven team in the country Arizona State Herm State first time we're picking Herm this year going on the road to face the Cowboys at Oklahoma State going to Stillwater and Oklahoma State had a really impressive performance last week Spencer Sanders had a really good game last week and look at, I mean, look at these stats. Uh, 28 to 41, 406 yards, four touchdowns. Not too bad of a start to the season, if you ask me. Uh, but this one could be a really high scoring type of, of affair here between these two teams, both 1 0. With that being at Stillwater, I am more inclined to pick Oklahoma State. The spread is around 11 points or so. So I'm going to go. And pick the Cowboys here. And uh, I know I hate to go against Herm. I hate to. And I'm I harken back to you know you play to win the game. I don't think they're gonna win the game this week. So I'm going with Oklahoma State here. Next up, we got USC, Stanford, USC. Good start to the Lincoln Riley era last week. 
with a really big win with them really scoring and putting up a lot of points against Rice. And this is going to be a Saturday night game between the two. And uh, I feel really good about picking USC in this game. Stanford is just not the Stanford that we know of. And so looking at the spread, USC is only favored by nine. But uh, I, I feel really good about going with USC here. So I'll take the new look Trojans here to go to Stanford get a Pac-12 win to, sh- to start off their Pac-12 season. Our final ranked matchup, Baylor at BYU. Baylor ranked ninth, BYU ranked 21, moved up from what they what they were a week before. This should be a, a fun contest. This is going to be a 9-15 game for both these teams. So they're going to both be sitting around all day. Uh, this this should be a really fun game. Uh, right now, BYU is favored by four, so just barely. But Baylor is ranked ninth in the country for a reason, and they're they're really good. Even though they have to replace a, a couple guys on that team, BYU is a really good team too. Baylor put up sixty nine points in their first game. BYU put up 50. Let's see that BYU defense, as we talked about with our independence preview. If this BYU defense, they're good, then BYU is pretty good. But uh, I think I'm going with the Bears here. I think I'm going with the Bears to go to BYU and get a win here. I think it's going to be a really fun game between those two. Mississippi State going to Arizona, going to Tucson for this one, taking on an Arizona team that has a lot of transfers and that actually surprised a lot of people going to San Diego State in week one in winning that one. This one's going to be a late start time as well, around 10 o'clock. Mississippi State is favored in this one. I feel comfortable with taking the Bulldogs here. But if Arizona showed something to where maybe they can be in high-scoring offense, putting up 38 points in their first game, 461 total yards, I think this should be a fun late-night contest. Pac-12 after dark here. You never know what's going to happen. Things can get weird here. I'm still rolling with the Bulldogs here. So I'm going with Mississippi State here. So that is week two, everybody. That is college football. In the books. So now, let's proceed on, on over to the big boys. And let's talk about the NFL. And so, let's start off here with our season predictions. And for this one, I really did kind of, did some stunning into some of the odds for who's going who's gonna to win the division, who can get the wild card spots. MVP, and some of these awards. And honestly, for my division picks, I had about maybe one, two, three picks that I felt pretty safe in picking. The others I kind of wondered about. Um, And I think there's a couple here that are pretty easy to tell which ones I had an easy time picking with. Uh, AFC East, 
feel comfortable taking the Bills there. I don't see anybody else competing against them. Uh, Buccaneers, uh, we talked about it with the NFC South. I don't think anybody in that division is going to compete with the Bucs. And in the West, I will admit the 49ers and Cardinals, I think, could give the Rams a run for their money. But I still like the Rams to win this division. And so those were the three divisions I felt comfortable in picking. And it felt like, okay, I can put this team down. I feel really good about that. The others, uh, did some soul searching, you know, to figure out who who, who I think is going to win this division. So let's, we're going to start off here, AFC North. And I really had a tough time with this one. You know, I don't think the Steelers are going to win it. I don't think the Browns are going to win it with Sean Watson not playing most of the season. So I think you're looking at two clear favorites here, Bengals. And Ravens. And this was a tough one. Because I also got taking consideration the wild card. Only two wild card spots. And we talked about a certain division last week who might end up claiming two of those wild card spots, considering how tough that division is. And so, Matt, I hate to say this. But I think the Bengals are going to win the division. And I think that's going to knock the Ravens out of the playoffs. <laughs> oh, Matt's probably never coming on here again after that. But Bengals I have here winning the AFC North. And uh, just seeing what they did in this offseason and trying to protect Burrow, I think it's going to help. Higgins, Chase, what a dynamic duo. Mixon, really good running back. I think it's going to be hard to top them. So give me the Bengals here to win the North. But it should be a fun division. I will say that. I will say that. Ravens, I think, will make things fun. The Steelers and Browns should make things interesting as well. But I had the Bengals. Uh, NFC North. Uh, I think the Bears and Lions are pretty comfortable. Two teams that are going to be in the bottom of this division. Vikings, I'm curious to see how... The offense is going to look over, uh, under Kevin O'Connell. But even after what's happened with the Packers in this offseason, I think I'm still rolling with them. You got Aaron Rodgers, and that's good enough for me. You got Aaron Jones. You got a really solid defense, and LaFleur has been really good in his tenure there. So give me the Packers. I thought about the Vikings, and, you know, it just depends. And who knows? I might be wrong about this one, and I might be thankful thankful for this because I had Justin Jefferson follow me to number seven in my fantasy draft. So to everybody in my fantasy league, thank you if you're listening. And uh, if uh, the Vikings do good and they win this division, maybe Jefferson's a big part of it, and that can only mean good things for me. Maybe. Watch it not mean anything good for me still. Uh, East, AFC East, we picked the Bills. The NFC East, uh, I had trouble picking this one. Between the Cowboys and the Eagles, I don't think the Giants are going to be involved here. Uh, the Commanders, still going to have to get used to that. And, you know, calling them the Washington football team was fun. Uh, it still is, but uh, Commanders now, um, Cowboys and Eagles. Cowboys, a lot of talk about what 
they haven't done this all season, you know, with a lack of things that they've done this all season, training with Mark Cooper, got some injuries up front. Uh, I'm still going with the Cowboys, I think. And, uh, you know, I, I thought about the Eagles for a while here. I had them initially slotted in here. But uh, I don't I don't have them here right now. And I don't have them in one of those wildcard spots. But uh, I have the Cowboys here in the NFC East. AFC South. I wrestled with this one too. I've seen a couple Jaguars picks. I'm like, yeah, mm-mm, no, no. Nah. <laughs> no, let, let's not do that. So Colts and Titans, I think, are the clear two here. Texans are obviously going to finish last. Jaguars going to be third. And the Colts made a lot of improvements here. The Titans made a, had a lot of changes here in the offseason. You just had Harold Landry go down with a torn ACL, which freaking hurt. I hate that for him. So that might change up the defense a little bit. That was looking pretty good. And I was really excited about it. I still am, but you're going to lose your big-time pass rusher there. So that's going to hurt. I still think, even after all that, after all the questions, I still think the Titans are going to win this. They've won it the last couple years. They've been a consistently winning team here the last six years. And I feel good about them trying to go and win the division here. They start off at the easy game against the Giants. They do go to Buffalo, so that's going to be a tough one. And they got Indy here pretty early on in the season. So those two games are going to be huge for the implications of this division for both those teams. I believe their first game is in week four, and I think they play again in like week six or week seven. So those two games are not too far apart that could determine who's going to win this division. It's going to be in this first half of the season. But I guess I'm still going with my guys. So, Titans, AFC South. Uh, Buccaneers, NFC South. Uh, NFC West, we went the Rams. And AFC West. This was probably the toughest decision I had with all these divisions. In which I could conceivably see, maybe not the Raiders, although I think they'll give those teams a good shot, or the Chiefs, Chargers, and Broncos. I Honestly, I could have picked any of the three, and I would have felt good about it. But I went with the Broncos here. Simply because I like what they've done this offseason. You bring in Russ. He's really going to elevate that team, elevate that offense. And the thing the Broncos have needed for so long have, has been has been a quarterback of Russ's caliber. They got him in there. Last time they got a, ca- a guy of that caliber, they ended up being really good and winning the Super Bowl. I don't have them going that far here, but I do think they win this division. And that means for my wild card spots for the AFC, I'm sticking with the AFC West, Chargers and Chiefs. And uh, I think you're going to see three of those teams in there. The Raiders are going to be left out of the party here for, for the playoffs here. 
and uh, they're going to miss out. So three of the teams in the AFC West, I think, are going to get into the playoffs. The NFC. I do think the 49ers get in. I think they get one of those wildcard spots. That defense is really good, led by Nick Bosa. And that offense, I'm really excited to see what Kyle Shanahan does with Trey Lance, Debo Samuel, Elijah Mitchell, George Kittle, and that offense. So I had them getting in here. And for the second wildcard spot, I'm going to have the Vikings in here. I think O'Connell does just enough in his first year with that offense to get this Vikings team into the playoffs. So I'm rolling with the 49ers and Vikings to making the NFC wildcard spots. Now, for my awards, I'm going to do that. I'm going to get the awards out of the way before I get to the AFC, NFC, and Super Bowl uh, stuff. So for the awards, Josh Allen, I'm rolling with him for my MVP pick. Right now, he's a favorite in Vegas, and I feel good about slotting him in here. And just, you know, this Bills team, again, they're not going to have any kind of competition in the East, although I think the Dolphins will be decent. But I just think he's gonna, this is going to be easier to win the MVP, and he's going to take it. So I'm going to have him win MVP. Offensive player of the year. You could go with a running back in here. But I'm rolling with my fantasy pick. Uh, with my first fantasy pick. And I didn't even know he was going to be my first fantasy pick when I made this decision. But uh, Justin Jefferson, offensive player of the year. I think he's going to have a big year in this new offense. And in talking with Matt about him in our fantasy pod, which is, you still haven't listened to that, go check it out if you're still waiting to do your draft. We talked about Jefferson and which like he can be the Cooper cup of this offense in which if he puts up almost Cooper cup, like numbers last year, if he gets really close, I think he's going to win it. Cooper cup won it last year with the stats he put up. And I think if Jefferson gets close, he'll win it. So mark me down for Justin Jefferson defensive player of the year. It's really a toss up between miles Garrett and Aaron Donald. You know what? I had it as Miles Garrett, but I don't feel comfortable picking against Aaron Donald. So that's who I'm going with. The best defensive player in the league right now. One of the best players in the league in general right now. So I'm going with him. Offensive and defensive rookie of the year. Funny enough, this is an Ohio State Michigan pick. Uh, offensive rookie of the year, Chris Olave. As a guy that's been picking up steam as a favorite for that pick. Excited to see what he can do in the Saints offense with Jameis Winston slinging the ball around. We'll have to see how good Michael Thomas is as he hasn't played in a long time. And Jarvis Landry. I think Chris Olave's clear number two right here. But I think he's going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. And Defensive Rookie of the Year, I'm going with Aiden Hutchinson. The Michigan boy here playing for the hometown team, winning this award, making a huge impact on that Lions defense in year one. And for coach of the year, I'm going with Nathaniel Hackett for the Broncos. I think, you know, I made the Broncos my AFC West winner. I think they're going to be one of the best teams in the league. And as a first-year coach, 
and being an offensive-minded type of guy is really going to help elevate that offense along with Russ to really make a huge impact this season. So I've been winning Coach of the Year. So now let's get to the stuff that we all want to talk about. And I got Bills and Chargers making the AFC Championship game. That's right. I have the Chargers making it over the Broncos, which I think the Chargers find a way somehow to overcome the Broncos in the playoffs, whether they play each other or not, and that the Chargers are going to be the AFC West team to make it into the AFC Championship game. And then in my NFC Championship game, similar to last year, I think these two are the best teams in the NFC, Rams and Bucks. And, and funny enough, I think the Super Bowl matchup that we're going to get is going to be the first game that we're going to see tomorrow night. I think it's going to be Bills-Rams. And I got the Bills winning the Super Bowl. Yep. The Bills, I think, are going to top the Rams. Rams going to come up just short of going back-to-back, being one of the first teams to do it in a long time. And I think the Bills are going to top them this year. And win the Super Bowl. One of the only things, really after this point, that Josh Allen would need to help him out. And really put him in that upper echelon of quarterbacks and players in the league. So I have the Bills winning the Super Bowl. Beating the Rams. Taking the trophy back home to Buffalo. And celebrating. So those are my NFL season predictions. Let's talk about week one. Let's have some fun talking about week one and some of the games going on here. Of course, speaking of Bills and Rams, that game kicking us off tomorrow night at LA. And I want to see who's the favorite. Ooh, this one's close, man. This one's really close. Right now, Buffalo is favored to win this game. <laughs> I'm wondering, do I pick Buffalo here and it jinx who I think is going to win the final game of the season? Or do do I pick the Rams here and maybe ensure that my pick is right here at the end of the season? You know, screw it. I think I'm going to pick the Bills. I'll pick the Bills here. They're a small favorite on the road. Uh, Still don't know about Stafford right now. Sean McVay said that elbow injury, nothing to be concerned about now. Feels fine with Stafford throwing 50 passes a win, although probably not what you want. But uh, I'll go with the Bills here to win game number one the season. Win game number one and win the final game of the season. So moving on, next game up. We got the 49ers at Bears. Justin Fields has... Shown some strides here in preseason. But you don't really feel comfortable about the rest of this Bears team. I'm rolling with the Niners here. They're around a touchdown favorite on the road against Chicago. And a first game for Trey Lance. Excited to see this one. So give me the Niners here. Steelers and Bengals. AFC North matchup right off the bat here. And we know Mitch Trubisky is going to be the starter over Kenny Pickett. And so we'll see how long it is before Steelers fans are clamoring for Pickett to get in. As always, backup quarterback, 
That's everybody's favorite player until they're starting. So, in this game, I got the Bengals winning. They're around a touchdown favorite in this one over the Steelers. Uh, T. Higgins is questionable for this game. But uh, I like the Bengals here in this one to win this one at home. And uh, start off 1-0, put the Steelers at an 0-1 disadvantage. AFC East matchup, Patriots at Dolphins. Uh, Patriots, weird offseason for them. <laughs> Probably being, uh, to say the least there and trying to be nice about it. Right now, the Patriots are a favorite, but that's according to ESPN's Football Power Index. But Miami is a favorite as far as the spread is concerned. At three and a half. I'm getting on with Miami here. You know, I want to say we're going to see a couple deep balls from Tua. And one of them is going to be the Tyreek, or maybe both of them, that are going to try to dispel the myth about Tua's arm strength. I definitely think we're going to see a couple of those throughout this game to try to knock off that narrative. Panthers at Browns. Big one here. Baker's looking for revenge. And who am I to deny a man his revenge against his former team that he's felt wronged by? I'm going with Carolina here to beat the Browns. Home game for Baker. He wants to get his revenge in front of the home crowd and make a statement for himself. So I'm going with the Panthers here. Uh, Ravens at Jets. Joe Flacco versus <laughs> his old team? Probably, maybe. Depends on how Zach Wilson is doing. But uh, Ravens, I think they should win this one pretty easily over the Jets. Uh, yeah, they're pretty decent favorite. So, man, even though I'm not picking your team to make the playoffs, I am picking your team to win week one. So, there you go. Giants at Titans, I do feel good about this one. This week one matchup for the Titans. As the Giants, I'm curious to see how Dable is going to do in his first game as a head coach. But I do like my team here. They are a favorite at home. So I think the Titans are going to win this one and start off 1-0. Then one of our first highly anticipated AFC West matchups, Raiders at Chargers. Big one here. And considering how their last game played out, it's a big one here as well. You know, with if you remember their last game, the whole scenario about them trying to, about one of those teams trying to not make the playoffs, and one of those teams ended up doing that. And, you know, the Chargers got left out of the party there last year. So Chargers get a home game here to take on a fellow AFC West opponent. And I am going to go with the Chargers, I think. Although I think we should be in for an exciting game. I think with all these AFC West games, I think we're going to be in for fun, exciting contests. The Chargers are only favored by about three, three and a half. So give me the Chargers here. They're starting off 1-0. And uh, start off the first of many fun exciting AFC West matchups. 
Sunday night football. Buccaneers at Cowboys. We had this matchup last year to start the season. Buccaneers ended up prevailing in that one. This one's at Dallas this year. And I presume the Bucs are a favorite in this game at Jerry World. Uh, Jerry's not going to like that. But the Buccaneers are a small favorite to win this game. Around that two and a half, three, uh, three point mark. So, I'm going to go with the Bucs here. I there's, I just don't know too much about what the Cowboys have done this offseason. Like, they haven't done a whole lot. They've lost a lot. They got some guys banged up. So, I feel safe with picking the Buccaneers. And there's a chance Chris Godwin could play week one. That, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, how many games he was going to miss. And there's a shot he can play in week one. So, good for him. And then finally, the Monday night game. Broncos at Seahawks. Russ going back to Seattle. And I am curious about what the, his reception is going to be. I do think it is going to be mostly positive. And uh, for this one, this is easy pick for me. I'm going with the Broncos here. And Russ is going to, you know, he's probably going to do some Russ's cooking stuff. Against the Seahawks. So Seahawks are going to know how that feels. To be on the other end of that. So give me the Broncos here. With Ross going back to Seattle. Week 1 on Monday Night Football. And winning this one with this new team. So that's where we're going to do it. With the NFL everybody. That is our season predictions. And that is week 1 predictions. So. That'll do it for us here everybody. So thank you all for tuning into this week's pod. Be sure to go check out this channel, subscribe, give us a review, rating, all that good stuff. Check out the entertainment channel. We got our D23 recap pod coming up next week. So that'll do it for us here, everybody. Thank you all for tuning in. Until next time, talk to you all then.